And around this time last year, we took note of some notable starting goalies that got into a bit of a late-season funk. And that time, the debate of goalie fatigue was gaining traction. In the late stages of this year, we're seeing the same problem. We're seeing top goalies looking human. Is it happening again, and who will be able to rise above the rest? That and more in this week's main topic. Plus, the Oilers' front office is subject to criticism once again, and so is the owner of another Canadian NHL franchise. Episode 164 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Today we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia as we do every week. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right, question 52. Here we go. Class of 2015 Hall inductee Nicholas Lidstrom accomplished which of these NHL firsts? A, the first defenseman since Bobby Orr, to win three consecutive James Norris trophies, that's top defenseman. B, the first European-trained NHLer to captain a Stanley Cup champion team. C, the first European-trained NHLer to win the Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP. Or D, all of the above. He did all of those things. Yeah, I was... That's, that's a good question. Um... So I, I really have no excuse right now because this is this this happened recently. If it's in 2015, um, so I feel like I should know, like, or like as opposed to all the other ones where it's like all about old school hockey players. Um, I'm trying to remember if he... I know he won a lot of Norris trophies. I'm trying to remember if he won all three in a row. Um, he definitely was a European captain who won. Um, I don't know if he's the first, though. All right, I'm just going to go with all of the above. Well, when Nicholas Lindstrom is just that good, of course he did all of those things. You're yeah, right on the money. Of course. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Absolute legend. Yeah, of course. Um, one of the best to ever do it. Um, all right, let's get into it here. Uh, yeah, so we've been kind of um, saving this, uh, this topic for a while now. Um, more or less, um, I think what started it was uh, we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Frederick Anderson gave up like six goals um, in uh, uh, in thirty shot in about thirty or I guess twenty nine shots, um, and uh, although the the Maple Leafs ended up winning, um, you know Anderson was far from what we expect him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he did win and, that. And, and it should also be noted in the in the two games before that, he gave up four goals against Chicago and Tampa, respectively, and yeah. got pulled in both games. Right, right, that too. Um, 
but yeah, no, he did. They uh, Toronto somehow eked out that win against Philadelphia. Um, he did get rested a couple of times, um, but uh, but we thought, but and he gave up two. He did pl- start playing better. Uh, he gave up two goals in against Nashville, two goals against the Rangers. Um, but then last night he gave up five goals um, to Florida. Uh, Toronto also ended up winning, but uh, it did bring up into good question. We have two other goalies that we'll talk about in a minute, but it did bring up the question of um, are are the Leafs is he being played too much um, at the moment? Um, I was trying to look at place. I just realized the place I'm looking at right now doesn't show how many games he's played. Um, let's see here. He had, he's played 56 games um, this year. Um, he's won 35 of them, so he is very good, obviously. Um, but, uh, so, so I guess if I do the math here, let me do the math real quickly here. That means that he's played, uh, he's been benched about 20 times already. Um, if that's right, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Because the, the Toronto's played 76 games, yeah. Uh, so about 20 games he's been rested, but should... Now that, like, the Maple Leafs are kind of in the playoffs, um, let's go with him. For, let's start with him first. Um, should he, should we, should he be rested more frequently or not um, now down this playoff stretch? Well, uh, the Maple Leafs already talked about splitting duties between Anderson and Sparks a couple of weeks ago, and I hope that's still the plan because they still have some decent competition but competition where you feel comfortable resting anderson aka the ottawa senators on saturday uh so they they do have some games where sparks should probably be able to handle the load maybe the montreal game as well um because uh even though the Habs will have something to play for i don't think anderson will have any need to play that final game um but let's take a look at his workload uh last year he faced 2,211 shots and 66 appearances with the Maple Leafs. He faced 2,052 in his first year with Toronto. Only Cam Talbot faced more shots that season. And in that season, 2016-17, once again, Freddie Anderson played in 66 games. This year he's played in 56, which is 10 fewer than last year. But he still faced 1,772 shots before playing his 56th game against Florida. So in all three of his first three seasons with the Leafs, he's finished the year in the NHL's top five for most shots faced by a goalie in a season. And I believe he's fourth behind Hellebuck, Price, and Markstrom uh, this year in shots faced. And all of those guys appeared in more than 57 games. So they've all played more than Frederick Anderson this year. So even though Anderson isn't playing as much as he was last year, He's still facing an average of 32 shots per start, which could be an indication of goalie fatigue when you consider his workload every game. If you're not, if you're measuring a goalie fatigue by 
that if you're if you're trying to define goalie fatigue by how many starts a goalie has, that's that's just one part of the equation. So um, I, I definitely think you need to be concerned about the workload and and to be concerned about the Maple Leafs because that's the team that Freddie Anderson is playing under. Um, unlike someone like Tuka Rass, where the Bruins' defense is more stable than uh, Toronto, I would argue. Um, despite all of this, though, Frederick Anderson, as of Monday morning, had a 918 save percentage, the same as it was in the first two years with Toronto. And the lowest it's ever been in a season is 914. That was his second year in Anaheim when he won 35 games. That's the same amount of games he's already won this year. Uh, his goals against average in each of those three seasons with Toronto has been over 2.6, significantly higher to the below 2.4 GAAs he posted with Anaheim under less pressure. And despite all that, again, Freddie Anderson has still been able to post three consecutive 31 seasons with Toronto, despite all the heavy lifting. So from a season to season perspective, you don't really notice a significant drop. You're like, okay, I'm concerned about Freddie Anderson's game. So I went to check month by month to see if there was a disturbing trend. And unfortunately for Leafs fans, there might be. And it all goes from the start of the year to the end of the year where you kind of see the drop off. So let's take a look at October, 2017. He starts off average. Then he goes nine, two and one in November, remains consistently effective in December and January. GAA goes up to 2.89 in February, but still goes 7-2-1 during that stretch. Then we get to March, where his GAA is at an alarming 3.84 while going 5-4-0. So he starts off average, has a dominant, effective at worst, November to February, ends it with the final few weeks of the season that is average. So that was last year. We look at this year. GAA in October is 2.59. Safe percentage is 919, better compared to the previous October. In November, 830, 2.02 GAA, 942 safe percentage. So a strong second month of the regular season once again. He goes 6, 2, and 1 in December. The GAA is over 3. Safe percentage just about 900 as well. Uh, four January starts, faces an average of 37 shots per game, seven shots higher than his average from December. He goes 8-2-2 two two in February with a 9-22 save percentage. And while he went 4-2-2 two two in his first nine starts uh, in March of this year, he has a GAA of 3.46 and a save percentage of nine uh, under 900 during those first nine starts in March. And he's only been pulled twice this year, both of those in back-to-back circumstances. First time in his Maple Leafs career that's happened. And in a stretch of 52 shots, he was charged with 13 goals. So again, he starts off average, he finishes average, and March has been a pretty bad month for him in the past two years as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And when you just look at how Toronto has fared as a team, how many shots they give up, how many scoring chances against per game they average, I'm just sitting here and I'm wondering, how much of this is on the team, and how much of this is on Freddie Anderson? Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. I mean, we've been—I mean, we—they did get Jake Muzzin, um, a, you know, a couple of months ago, um, 
but it still doesn't. I mean, their defense has it's, it's still been inconsistent um, as it has been before. Um, we didn't talk about this, but uh, like I don't think we planned on it. But I I think I did mention to you in our in our emails that like Babcock. And, this is a little bit of a side note here, but Babcock. Um, mentioned in the media that he uh he kind of like somehow kind of like uh i'm paraphrasing here but he subtly mentioned how he didn't get a ton of depth or how dubis didn't get a ton of depth or something so he's been trying to manage um without like he feels like the depth isn't as good as it should be um, well, in, in fairness, when you're paying a bunch of superstars, you can yeah. only do so much to help your team. Capitalize. But I mean, like at the same time, when you're playing like Ron Hainsey, the amount of time that uh, Babcock is, it's like, yeah, um, you know, it's not, it's not all uh, because do like Dubis is paying a ton of players at the top level. You know, it's there's also some like. Uh, coaching stuff where you're like why yeah, is Ron yeah, Hainsey Dubas being played that Dubas much Dubas doesn't uh, Dubas doesn't tell Ron Hainsey okay you're on the second deep period right 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 exactly or um, I feel like there's another one so, or like Nikita Zaitsev hasn't been as good yeah. as we thought he was but he's also getting 20 minutes a night uh, every game so um, so so that's like I feel like that's also another issue there but that's a that's a story for another time I guess um, yeah, and then in terms of, like, Anderson, uh, Anderson's play, I'm, I, it it's, feels kind of strange, uh, to, like, say that he should be rested, because I think, the, the, I mean, I'll say the same for Rask, who we'll talk about in a second, um, the, like, the thing is, is that, you know, the Bruins and the the Leafs right now, yeah, they both have made the playoffs right now, but they're both uh, playing basically for that second seed. Um, the Bruins kind of do have a lead in it, so it's not like a huge, like, you know, maybe the, the, the Maple Leafs have a shot at um, making some ground against them if the Bruins do struggle sometime around the, around this stretch, but... At the same time, um, you know, so I feel like, you know, it is very possible for the Maple Leafs to catch up to the Bruins um, and get that home ice advantage in the series, um, at the very least. Um, the the other thing that I wanted to mention here, too, is that Garrett Sparks um, has a 903 save percentage and a GAA of 3.16 um, in 18 games so far. So that's and he's eight, seven, and one. So it's uh, so that's the other thing too that we have to think about is that they're bet like so we're going to be talking about Rask and Hellebuck, and their goalies have been playing a lot better. Their backup goalies have been playing a lot better um, than Garrett Sparks has. So, like, I don't know if you necessarily trust Garrett Sparks more than, um, like, say, Halak or Brassois. Um, you know, yeah, because, like, when, when you look at uh, someone like Garrett Sparks and you compare it to Curtis McElhaney and what he provided with the Maple Leafs yeah. last year, true. you can say, okay, Garrett Sparks might have more hype to his game than Curtis McElhaney. 
but he doesn't have the veteran presence and stability that McElhaney has provided. And I think the Leafs sorely missed that behind Anderson. And it showed. Yeah, that's a good point. McElhaney, um, it does seem like McElhaney was, uh, or it was bad that the, the Leafs did let McElhaney show. And this is one of the big reasons why, because it's like Sparks may not necessarily be ready and they're kind of, seems like maybe they're rushing him in too fast, but um, something like that. So um, another thing to think about. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's you did bring up a good point too about how like um, the difference is like, you know, it's not like necessarily like, you know, the Leafs have been giving up goals for the past couple of seasons. It's always been their uh, Achilles heel in a way. Um, so, but it's it's tough to know if it's really Anderson's fault or if it's just the defense's fault. Um, you know, or it could just be a mixture of both where Anderson is just getting so tired um, and he can't like uh, do what he's been capable of doing um, versus like um, the Leafs defense hasn't been as great as it should be. Um, so, so that's something to look out for, but you know, we've been looking out for this for, for a while now, but yeah. it seems. Uh, let's go to uh, Connor Hellebuck here. Um, his was kind of interesting. He didn't have as big of a fall from grace um, as Anderson, but I, on a whole, I was just looking at his stats, uh, like just his, like compared to last year, um, he's not doing as well as we expect him to be, um, but he has he gave up uh, five goals uh, to San Jose um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he gave up three goals to Boston. Um, he did have a couple of good games though, um, good stretches uh, where he beat Calgary, uh, where he only gave up one goal. He uh, shut out Anaheim. Uh, which I guess isn't really saying much nowadays. Um, he gave up uh, two goals in relief for Bressois. Um He also shut out Nashville um, in the next start. Um, and th but then last night, uh, the 25th, he uh, he gave up uh, f four goals uh, to Dallas. So it's he's kind of been like this very inconsistent. Uh, but like compared to last year, he's been, um, you know, it's, it's a different, it's, he hasn't been as good. Um, last year he had a 924 save percentage, a GAA of 2.36. Um, and he started about 64 uh, games that year. Um, he started 57s already this year, but he has a save percentage of 913 which is like a nine point, uh, nine, is it a point difference, percentage difference, um, 0 0.009 percentage difference, and a GAA of, um, where is it here? Uh, why can't I find the, oh, the GAA of 2.89, which is a 0.5 difference um, from last year. So, uh, so he definitely hasn't been as great um, as he has been, um, or that we thought he, he might be. So he's fallen a little bit from last year, but 
Um, and it's still like, it's not like a ton to get worried about because there are still signs that he can get back to uh, what he's used to from last year. But, um, you know, it, it is tough to know um, if, if we'll see that type of hellebuck again last season. Um, Laurent Persuas has been pretty good um, in his, in, uh, when Hellebuck's gotten some rest, so, um, Persuas has a, is 13-6-2 with a 2.52 GAA and a save percentage of 925, uh, which is very good, um, and he's played about 20 games so far, so that's not bad either, um, so I feel like we're, I guess, a spoiler alert, where uh, the Winnipeg Jets did just clinch a playoff spot uh, this week. Um, so, but they are currently competing against Nashville for the Central Division title. Um, so that is something that they kind of have to uh, figure out, where I'm not even sure if they necessarily, like, Unlike Boston and Toronto, who Rask we're, we're about to talk about, but uh, like unlike those two teams, like you know, like the difference between the first, the one spot or the two spot, I uh, can make quite the difference in the playoffs. So I feel like um, they should give Hellbuck some rest, um, and I think he does need some more rest than he's been given. But at the same time, like, they're kind of neck and neck with uh, Nashville, where I don't even know if they can necessarily afford to do that. Um, but the good thing is that Brassois has been playing much better. Um, so maybe they could, like, uh, give him some more starts so that Hellebuck could be ready for playoff time. But um, this is one of those things where I could see it either way. It should also be noted, by the way, uh, St. Louis is actually two points back of Nashville. So mm. imagine if they win the division and neither Winnipeg or Nashville uh, get the division crown and they that's go up against each other in round one. That should yeah, be interesting. All three of them are all, that's true, that all three of them are kind of competing for that one spot. But um, yeah, I don't know if they necessarily, anyways, I guess like Winnipeg doesn't want to be playing st louis or nashville in the first round exactly like. yeah. right which is why the division crown is important and should make for an interesting couple of weeks in the year but let's take a look at hellebuck uh so last year like you said gaa state percentage uh, a lot better than this year um he also picked up six shutouts and 44 wins over 64 starts uh his first 56 games go like this this year gaa close to 2.9 Nine, uh, 913 C percentage, that's pretty decent. Um, but it's it's similar to his lackluster 2016-17 campaign where it's just like he didn't have the GA in the C percentage he did uh, in his first or second year, but uh, he, he he racked up the wins unlike um, his first or second year with the Jets. Um, and Connor's defense, though, if you look at the shot's face, much like Frederick Anderson, He's faced at least 40 shots on eight separate occasions, winning five of those games, uh, uh, which is which is pretty interesting. And Anderson has actually posted eight wins 
when facing uh, 40 or more shots. So uh, both him and Connor Hellebuck are pretty similar as yep. uh, as far as dealing with um, high-level shooting events. And the, the Winnipeg Jets have quite a, a lot more experience on defense. They have Josh Morrissey, they have Jacob Truba, they have Dustin Bufflin, but all of them at various points of the season have been injured. Especially which is, Bufflin. Yeah, especially Bufflin, which has kind of led to probably some of those high-danger uh, uh, events that Hellebuck had to deal with. If you take a look at um, Tuka Rask's unreal run, which we'll talk about later on, the only goalie with more shots faced than Hellebuck during that stretch was Andre Vasilevsky of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Vasilevsky's numbers go like this. 18-5-2, 2.02 GAA, 936-8% 5 shutouts. And that's what happens when you are playing on a unstoppable Tampa Bay Lightning team that can score at will, but can also play good defense. And and during this um, unreal run by Tuka Rask, Hellebuck has gone 12-9-1 with a 9-11 save percentage despite a GAA over 3. And again, that's without guys like Buffalo and guys like Josh Morrissey on the back end helping him out. And the only other goaltender that has faced more rubber than Connor Hellebuck this season overall is nobody because he has faced the most shots. If I said Anderson faced the most shots, I think the only guy who's faced more than him is Hellebuck. So yeah. Hellebuck um, has faced the most shots this year. His save percentage is almost as good as Carey Price and and we all know Carey Price, bounce back year, has best player, can't yeah. give the guy enough praise. And yet you look at Connor Hellebuck and his save percentage heading into Monday night was around the same as Carey Price. So when you take all of that into perspective and you look at Connor's stats, second glance tells me he hasn't been as bad as the numbers indicate this year. His workload is tough. He's had to deal with a lot of key injuries, like I said. He's the defensive version of Patrick Laine, where everyone knows how talented he is. Everyone's seen a dynamic season from him stat-wise, and they assume, okay, we should expect that every year. But the results haven't come as quickly for Patrick Laine as they have in previous years. I think it's around the same uh, as Connor Hellebuck this year. Just the GAA, the save percentage, don't tell the story of his workload, what he's had to deal with. Um, and when I look at Connor Hellebuck and I'm I'm asking who's the better goalie, Martin Jones or Connor Hellebuck, I'm taking Connor Hellebuck every time because Jones hasn't faced nearly as much rubber as Connor Hellebuck. He's faced almost as much rubber as Craig Anderson, who started in 14 fewer games this year than Martin Jones. The Sharks have all-star talent up the wazoo, especially on defense with Burns, Carlson, and Vlasic. And yet Martin Jones entered Monday with a save percentage just under 900 and a GAA of 2.91 and has only posted one more shutout than Connor Hellebuck this year. And he's in a much easier division too. Yeah. So when I, when I look at, again, the workload that Hellebuck has faced, his overall stats, it's not a half bad year. And I think when it comes time to the playoffs, I'm expecting the real Connor Hellebuck to really show up and play his heart out. It's almost like I predicted Martin Jones would not be um, that good this year. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that is another good point. I guess in terms of overworkage, it does seem like Hellebuck has been played uh, far too often compared to all the other players. Um, 
It's funny that you mentioned Carey Price briefly, but uh, I, I just remember that he gave up eight goals uh, to Anaheim. Um, yeah. Uh, but like early on this in, in this month on the March eighth, he's more or less uh, gone back to uh, what we're used to him of of being. Um, but it was I, I did want to mention that if we're talking about players um, who have been goalies that have uh, had some form of um, struggle. Uh, let's yeah. go. To- uh, before we get to. Um- Martin, uh, before we get to Tuka Rask, we'll get back to the guy who was a Bruin for a day, Martin Jones. In 15 games this year, he's played over 40 minutes and faced fewer than 25 shots. Yeah. I didn't realize so that. that, that's, that yeah. that's what I mean about not as much workload for Martin Jones. Yeah, and also I didn't realize that his save percentage is at point eight not eight nine. Yeah, like eight. it said, under 900, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, I didn't realize that, which is crazy. Um uh, yeah, so let's go to Tuca here. Um, he uh, so Tuca has been kind of uh, interesting because he started the year poorly, um, but it could have like. But then uh, around like November, he uh, was given a, a, a leave of absence. Um, luckily, uh, Halleck was able to uh, take over for the net there. Um, and then in the month of December, like late December and uh, all of January, Tuka Rask became like the best goalie in the league. Uh, he hadn't lost in regulation. We, we made a big deal about it um, two weeks ago when he actually did lose um, that streak where he, uh, he finally lost in regulation to Columbus on the 12th. Um, and that's really when things started to uh, struggle for him because he gave up five goals uh, to Columbus. Then he gave up four goals to Winnipeg uh, uh, two nights afterwards. Um, he did shut out the Islanders, um, and he gave up one goal against the uh, Devils, which we'll talk about uh, when we recap this. But then last night... Um, although it, it wasn't necessarily his fault, it seemed. Um, it was more like the defense. The, some of the goals were more defensive lapses, but um, excuses. And excuses, also sorry. it was against Tampa Bay. And it was against Tampa Bay, but, um, you know, the Bruins, he gave up uh, f- three unanswered goals in the third period, um, and he gave up five goals overall. Um, against Tampa, but of course Tampa is like a historic team, so uh, it's hard to really get on him for all that. But um, yeah, at the same time, it's uh, you know uh, Tuca has a uh, save percentage of nine fifteen um, and a GAA of two point four two. Um, Halleck has has almost played as much uh, games as Rask has been, so they kind of have. Uh, the Bruins have been kind of uh, good with that now. Um, Halleck has, uh, he's played 37 games uh, this year. Uh, he's 20-10-4 and four, um, with a GA of 2.31 and a save percentage of 9.24. So it is, you know, Halleck has more or less 
been outperforming Rask, but he's been playing six more game, six less games than Rask has. So they've been a good tandem together, though. Having said that, uh, Rask is 26 and 11 and five when he started. Um, so yeah, it's this is one of those things where like it does kind of make sense because Rask should be the goalie come playoff time. Um, but I feel like it kind of does make, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, um, I think the Bruins should start Halleck way more often, um, just because, like, I feel like he needs some rest, and that's, that's what really got him going, um, in that streak to begin with, where he had this rest, and that allowed him to get on another level, uh, that we weren't used to, or we haven't seen in a, in a couple in a long time. Um, so, so I, I, and the Bruins, yeah, they're competing, uh, for that home ice against Toronto. Um, but I, I feel like Halleck is, um, a good option to have, um, down the stretch. Yeah, definitely, especially with uh, Halak playing the way that he has. Um, so when you talk about uh, load management with Tuka Rask, he's, um, it, it's definitely been noticeable over the past couple of years, even before mm. this year. Uh, in 2016-17, he posted a career-high eight shutouts in the season. Uh, that ended uh, with a round loss to the Sens in six games back when the Sens were actually doing something in the playoffs. Um, the year after that, he receives 11 fewer starts, still recorded 30-plus wins. Only started, like you said, 42 games this year, 26 wins to his resume. Relatively unchanged GAA and save percentage from the previous campaign, despite only starting 42 games. Um, and like you said, from December 29th to the first week of March, specifically March 9th, he goes 16-0-3, 1.94 goals against average, 9.29 save percentage. During that stretch, and this is important, Tuka Rask ranked 23rd in shots faced amongst NHL goalies during that stretch. On the season, he sixth 27th in that same stat category. On just six occasions, he's faced at least 35 shots, slightly above the average shots per game that Freddie Anderson faces in Toronto. So when you look at the Bruins, like I said when I was talking about Anderson, when I was talking about Hellebuck, Boston has the better team in front of Tuka Rask. And Rask plan B has played just as admirably. The year before it was Hugh Dobin, he went 16-6-7 with a GAA of 2.56 and a save percentage of 9.13. Halak has just been has been just as effective this year, if not slightly more effective than Hugh Dobin. Um, 2.31 GAA and four shutouts, 20 wins. Um this was a case where where Tuka Rass was playing so out of his mind, he was on another stratosphere, that it was only a matter of time before reality gave him a sucker punch to the groin. He came back down to earth, had a couple of rough outings, but he prior to that Tampa Bay game, he bounced back rather nicely, and the Bruins did a really, really, really good job of limiting the amount of shots against, and that Islanders shutout. He only stopped 13 shots. He only had to face 13 shots the entire game. So um, I think heading into the playoffs when obviously the competition is going to be a lot tougher, when he's going to be facing more shots, you're right. 
it's going to be important to have a healthy and rested Tuka Rask. And that is where Yaroslav Halak down the stretch could be a very key player for the Boston Bruins. Yeah. And uh, God forbid in the playoffs if they need him, because um, come playoff time, Tuka Rask is going to be their guy. He has to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I've been, I mean, it's, this is a little bit different from, uh, from talking about Anderson and Hellbuck because I've been watching Rask play for um, this entire season, so uh, you know I have a little bit of a different perspective uh, compared to the other two. But yeah, no, it, it does. Like you know, I've been saying all along that Rask, you know, like like it's 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 good that Halak has been playing well so far. Um, but as long as he's ready for playoffs, I'm all for, you know, giving him as much rest. Um, the only thing I will say, is, like, I get, the only thing I will say is that, like, you know, I feel like that second spot is going to be important and that it could make or break um, this series for Toronto or Boston. Um, so I, I do feel like both, like, like I said with uh, Anderson and the Leafs, like the Bruins are also going to be trying to make sure that they can secure a, that second spot, uh, still. So like, um, but uh, on the same end, I feel more comfortable. I'd feel just from an objective point of view, um, I'd feel more comfortable uh, with Halleck versus Sparks if uh, either team starts to play their backup more. Um, just in terms of like how they would do, um, so uh, yeah, I I think they have the Bruins do have a luxury of like having this guy in Halleck to actually like uh, perform as much as he's he's been able to. Yeah, and and the asterisk to note with Rask and Anderson, everyone's probably going to look at the goalie fatigue and they're just like, oh, you know, he was obviously fatigued mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you know, if you look at his playoff stats, you know, he didn't right. really do well. In the case of Boston and Toronto, they're going to have the toughest road to the Stanley Cup yep. if they make it that far because they're going to probably battle it out for with against each other in round one. That winner goes up against Tampa. Yep. And that's just the first two rounds. That was a good Michael Felger impression, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know I was impersonating Felger, no, so no, no. I guess no, I felt like I, I better that, that even though I haven't listened to him. That was a joke. No, but like there are there are a fair amount of Bruins fans uh, that you see all the time on Twitter and, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. If your car is for driving family and friends. Um, sorry. Yeah, I think he got something in the background there. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. That, was, that my, was that Felger's voice? No, 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 no. I, I was looking at his stats page, and then all of a sudden an ad popped yeah. up, and I was just like, Yeah, hey, on, another, on another subject, those ad pop-ups suck. Uh, anyways, what was I saying? Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of uh, Twitter Bruins fans and Twitter and Facebook people, and Felger, uh, who all yeah. um, meant you know who all mention, and Joe Haggerty as well, um, who all like mention how Tuka Rask isn't uh, what we expect him to be, um, and that he can't perform in the playoffs. Um, I was on that stats page which I just closed, uh, but uh, did you know that? Uh, Rask has actually been uh, pretty good in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I remember yeah. one time uh, where the Bruins actually went to the finals. With yeah, Jeff. yeah, and they uh, he swept, he single-handedly uh, swept the, uh, damn it. <laughs> Why does this keep happening? Um, I, I, I think I fixed it here. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that was the year um, Boston swept Pittsburgh. In yeah, yeah, I, I, I was getting there, yeah. Uh, where they single-handedly, uh, I, I, I keep on getting interrupted by these ads. I, I, I hope the, the pop-up won't happen again. But no, uh, yeah, he's been very good in the playoffs. In his 65 games that he's played, he has a 924 save percentage. So um, if you ever encounter a Bruins fan who doesn't believe in Tuka Rask in the playoffs, uh, just throw that, that stat out there. <laughs> Um, he's also 53, uh, he's 30, I mean, he is 35, 30 in, um, oh, during the playoffs, but, um, but I feel like you could mention the fact that it's not like, that just, when you have a save percentage of 924, uh, in the playoffs, that's just, just shows that you're not, and a GA of 2.25, that just shows that, like, it's not like he's, he's, He's the main reason why the Bruins haven't um, been doing well in the playoffs. Yeah, so, and, and they've and they've uh, and they've gone to the second round a couple of times, yeah, and they've lost to true. a couple of good teams like Montreal when Carey when Carey Price was all world. They lost yeah. to Montreal. Um, that thought, was in 2014, I believe. And, and they then, also uh, lost there was, to like, and there Ottawa. was again last year against Tampa Bay. That was yeah. the, the more recent one. I thought you were going to mention the fact... I, I thought you were going to gloat that uh, Ottawa beat them um, in the first round. But, yeah. No, no I already did that. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. You can't really gloat anymore now. Uh, yeah. Um, no, no. I can only weep. <laughs> yeah, you can only um, Yeah, no, it, it should be interesting to for sure um, on all three of these players. But, um, yeah, I think... In general, it does make sense to rest these players because, you know, the playoffs are the more important thing. But it, it, there is that risk involved because uh, all three of these teams are, like, sure, they're they're definitely in the playoffs, um, but they're both competing for a home ice um, on some level. So, uh, so that should be, uh, you know... You do want to get make sure your star goalie is rested uh, so that they are, you know, capable. But at the same time, you don't want to, like, be suddenly, like, lose so many games with your backup that you're all of a sudden in the wild card race. So, yeah. um, or you're, you're the, the first wild card or something like that. So, um, yeah, so it is a tricky situation. On the other side of the coin, though, you will also notice that goalies can be very, very streaky. Yeah. And and we've seen that a lot this season. Like That's Ben true. Bishop, he didn't have a good stint with the Kings after he was straight out of Tampa a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know if you followed this. I think it was uh, earlier this month where he posted three straight shutouts and beat uh, Belfort's franchise record shutout streak in Dallas Stars history. Then you have Mark Andre Fleury, who was a couple of seasons removed from his worst regular season as a Pittsburgh Penguin, yep. and he has a shutout streak that goes over 200 minutes with Vegas, having one of the best seasons of his career. 
Uh, you look at Bobrovsky, who's been one of the best goalies on the planet for the past five years, yep. and his team got shut out three times in a stretch of six games, and he hasn't really been at his level. And Philip Grubauer in Colorado. How about this guy since March 1st? He sits in the top 10 in goals saved above average, save percentage, which is over 950, slot shot save percentage, which is 940, and inner slot save percentage, which is 938, from March 1st to the 22nd. That was a Colorado team that was considered to be out of it, probably not making the playoffs, and their goaltending wasn't up to snuff, and he goes on this two, three-week run, and all of a sudden, they're back in it. So if a goalie gets hot, anything can happen. And not to mention Jordan Bennington, or Winnington, has single-handedly yeah. uh, uh, been, like, saved the Blues season. Also, Carter Hart, um, my favorite player to pronounce, uh, yeah. name to pronounce. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he's back. He's He's been making some noise as well, but we've talked yeah. to him a lot. If, if St. Louis wins the division, Jordan Bennington should, even though Peterson, Elias, uh, Elias Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, no, it's Peterson. I, I still can't pronounce his name correctly. I'll get it someday. I think it's Peterson, even, but yeah, we, yeah though, if you say Peterson, that's fine too. <laughs> even though Peterson has had one heck of a rookie season, I don't know if you heard, but uh, Peterson broke Pavel Bure's uh, record for most points by a Canucks rookie, yeah. which is very impressive because Pavel Bure is one of the greatest Canucks in the history of Vancouver Canucks. And there's like nine games um, left. Yeah. And he was injured for, like, about a month. <laughs> I don't care how good this Peterson kid is. If St. Louis wins the division, Jordan Bennington gets the Calder Trophy, hands down. Yeah, that's a good debate for next week. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's just incredible how St. Louis was probably dead in the water by Christmas. And then Bennington comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, they actually have a shot of winning the Central Division that looked to be a battle between Winnipeg and Nashville for the longest time. Yeah, I get that's true. That's fair. I guess it's more that, like, without Peterson in Vancouver, like, you know, Vancouver would be, like, a lock for the lottery. Like, they would be yeah. competing with LA and Ottawa and Detroit. Um, and now they're, like, they're they're not gonna make the playoffs, but like they're very like they they're just on the bubble now. So it's like, mm -hmm. um, so like and Pedersen is the main reason for that. So, um, yeah. I I don't know. I guess I I, I see what you're saying. Was, in fairness, at the time I was prepping for this podcast, the Canucks were still in the playoff picture, so it's true. they're not entirely good. It's a good segue because uh, we're, that leads us to our. Uh, clinches and elimination stuff. Um, totally planned. Yeah, totally planned. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Boston, uh, officially official. I, last week, we uh, I talked about, like, mathematically it made sense that they were in. Like, it would be yeah. virtually impossible for them to miss the playoffs. But they officially clinched the playoffs. Same with San Jose, uh, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Nashville. They all have playoff spots. Um, but then they're now all fighting for, um, like uh, you know, just the seating. Yeah, they're 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 jockeying for position, exactly. making sure they don't have to face a good quality opponent. In the right, first right. Round. Um, especially Winnipeg and Nashville, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, early on this in this episode, but uh, yeah, it, it is an interesting race here because 
Uh, Winnipeg has 94 points, Nashville has 92 points, and St. New- St. Louis has 90 points. Yeah. Um, and there's and each one has about like five games left, so it's it's going to be a, a fun race uh, towards the end there. Um, the other one that's that's even closer is uh, the Metropolitan because uh, the the Capitals have 96 points. But then the Islanders and the Penguins have 95 points. Yeah, look out, Pittsburgh. Yeah. They're starting to turn it up again. Exactly. Um, and then um, and then I guess I feel like I should mention the wild card race here. Uh, Carolina and Montreal both have the wild the, the two wild card spots um, in uh, the Eastern Conference. Um, Columbus has... Uh, Two less has 86 points. Uh, the Flyers have 80 points. Um, those are those seem to be the only two that could. Uh, I guess Phil, the Flyers would have to. It would have to be a miracle for the Flyers to somehow make the playoffs. But uh, it's basically between these three teams: Carolina, Montreal, and Columbus. Um, Carolina has 91 points. Um, so they're the most safe. Uh, Montreal has 88 points and Columbus has 86 points. Um, so it, it could, it's very possible that Matt Duchesne um, won't get, uh, we won't get to see his playoff debut um, this year. Well, uh, remember when I said a couple of weeks ago in um, our lowdown of how we thought things were going to play out, that Montreal's final five games were going to be hell on earth? Yep. Um, I think they're reaching that point, and if they lay an egg, uh, Columbus still has a shot, assuming they take care of business. So I wouldn't rule out Columbus completely just yet because Montreal, I believe they have Winnipeg, Toronto and Tampa Bay. I know for sure Winnipeg and Toronto, they're going to play one more time before the season ends. And those are teams that, uh, for various reasons, have stuff to play for. So uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see how uh, the Canadian schedule wraps up there. Uh, Speaking of Atlantic Division rivals, the Tampa Bay Lightning, file this under how many times has this happened in NHL history? The Tampa Bay Lightning became the first team to clinch a playoff spot but they clinched their division, their conference, and the President's Trophy all on the same night. Yeah. Oh, I was getting to that, too, but yeah. It's Um, absolutely incredible. incredible. Um, As far as uh, eliminations go... Oh, wait, wait, can I... Wait, can I... I was going to do the wild card race in the West when we were getting there. Right, okay, we didn't get to the West. Sorry, go ahead. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you you were it. I was just thinking, like, I was getting to Tampa, and then... then, (laughs) Um, so it's all right. Um, yeah, the wild card race here in the Western Conference is even closer because uh, uh, Dallas, as you mentioned, Ben Bishop has been out of this world lately. But they have like lost like they they're uh, they're five four and one in their last ten for Dallas. Uh, so it's it's not like Bishop's been phenomenal for them, but um, at the same time, uh, they just can't score. Um, as much as we expected them to be. It's kind of funny when you think about it. It's like they finally get the goaltending, and now they can't score. Um, And then... um, then, Kind of of like they they made uh, the wish to the genie, and they're just like, 
A, uh, we, we wish for better goaltending and better team defense, but they forgot to add without uh, sacrificing our offense. Yeah. And the G is just like, all right, I'll give you better team defense, better goaltending, yeah. but I'm taking away all your offense. So good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, it's also, I mean, I think Zuccarello, it's been like about four weeks for Zuccarello, so he might be back by now. Yeah, um, I'm so sure they could use him right about now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Colorado is also, as you mentioned, Grubauer's been on another level as well. Um, and then, so the, Colorado has 81 points. Um, Arizona um, and Minnesota both have 79 points. Um, and Chicago and Edmonton, um, Chicago has 76 points. It's unlikely that Chicago could make it in, but I know that they play like Colorado and Arizona. Um, so like they could make up some ground and Chicago could theoretically make the playoffs somehow. Um, if Colorado and Arizona both, uh, fail, but, um, which I guess is somewhat possible, but it, it does seem like they're, um, they're going to miss it. Um, which is interesting because Chicago is l currently in last place in their central division, but they're like in third place. Uh, are there about like there? There's about a couple teams uh, that they're ahead of in the Western Conference in general. Um, yeah, uh, and then uh, in terms of eliminations, uh, which I know uh, Steve was rushing to get there. Um, yeah. The, so yeah, we co we covered that uh, Detroit and Ottawa were eliminated last week. Um, yeah, I think I think we also alluded to New, Jersey. New Jersey. They were done yeah. before uh, this week as well. Yeah, New Jersey as well. Um, Buffalo uh, is added to that list, um, which is yep. somewhat, which is kind of sad. Oh, Detroit mm -hmm. was eliminated this week too. I guess I have here. No, no, they were they were eliminated shortly after. Oh, I, I, just, I had them on the sheet here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the range. Well, either either way, they're not playing this year. Past right. eight. True, true. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter when I have them. Doesn't doesn't matter when they're just out. They're just yeah, out. yeah, they're out. Uh, the Rangers as well, um, yeah. and Los Angeles. Uh, they're they're still the only t Western Conference team that's uh, that's eliminated, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, uh, I, I expect Anaheim to join them if they haven't already. Though. And Edmonton and Vancouver will probably be. Uh, yeah as well um it's, but, it's amazing yeah. how some of those teams are still not, are still mathematically alive at this point yeah it's true uh yeah i don't i feel like let's see here like i feel like florida is out of it the flyers would it would have to take a miracle that to get in for them um edmonton would have to take a miracle same with vancouver and anaheim so i feel like those guys are definitely out but they're not officially out yeah, but they're 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 just about dead. Yeah, I mean, just about. yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, we have a couple of juicy stories here. Uh, the first one that happened last night. Um, I, I I don't know. Like, I was trying to get the context of this, but um, just like why he was even why I guess Drew Doughty was asked about the Norris race. Um, it's kind of been about, like, you know, it's been between Brent Burns and Mark Giordano. Uh, those have been the main two um, that people have talked about in terms of uh, defensemen. 
Um, and probably Victor Hedman, too, just Victor because Hedman's everyone another, on yeah. Tampa's having a great year. Yeah, Hedman's another one. Um, I guess John Carlson could could should be in consideration. Yeah, yeah. Um, just on the top of my head. Um, but anyways, Dowdy, um, Drew Dowdy had some words about Brent Burns um, where he, uh, I guess he was asked about the Norris Trophy race, and he says... All you've got to do is watch one San Jose Sharks game and you'll see Brent Burns get beat three times a game, literally, and everyone, uh, and everybody has them up for the Norris. I just don't get it. Um, so I love what I, I know this is like, uh, well, for one thing, Drew Doughty uh, has a minus 30 um, plus minus. Um, so it, it it is, it's, a, it's actually it's, it's actually a minus twenty nine. It got less bad I'll after a three nothing win over right. Calgary, but yeah. Uh, but still pretty bad. Um, yeah. And it's also like it is kind of funny uh, that uh, Daddy was mentioning this because like, well, first off, he uh, didn't. He, I think he publicly talked about Matt Kachuk um, early on this season, um, like where he felt like he was like. Uh, he d- he didn't like his style of play. Um, I forget the quote there, so I don't want to actually say what it was. But um, and then also there's uh, you know he's been up for Norris trophies before. Um, although to to be fair to Dowdy, uh, the main reason why he won as opposed to Carlson was that people thought that Dowdy's um, defense was better than Carlson's defense. So the Norris Trophy, so it is a little bit of a double standard in that sense where Brent Burns um, may not be great defensively, um, but that doesn't mean that he should win, um, or like he is better offensively than he is defensively, I should say. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he should win the Norris Trophy uh, because yeah. of all that. So it, it's, it's funny because one year he won it because his defense, uh, it, it, because it, it was it was funny because uh, Carlson lost the Norris to Daddy one year, like you said, because da- uh, they ruled Daddy's defense was better than Carlson's. Ergo, he should get the Norris Trophy because it's yep. the best overall defenseman, I guess. And then Carlson is out of this world leader in block shots, or I think he finishes second in block shots, still has an MVP type of season. His, his team yep. goes to the conference finals, almost makes it to the Stanley Cup finals. And he loses to the best offensive defenseman in the league, not necessarily the best all-around defenseman. So it, it, it's funny because Carlson uh, lost the award because his defense wasn't good. Tried to get better. Literally, actually got the injury, um, the injured ankle or leg or whatever it was that he played through in the playoffs. He, he, that was caused by blocking a shot, and then he goes out plays plays his butt off as one of the best defensive seasons of his career and he still loses the Norris to a guy with the best offensive capabilities the same reason why he lost a year or two before so it's it's funny how the Norris works sometimes um what what, what's interesting about Dowdy's comment is he, he this is after he compliments Burns a couple of times and of course, the media latches on to. Oh, I didn't realize the stuff that. That's make the headlines. Yeah, and it was Eric Dehatchik of the Athletic that wrote about it. Uh, I'm unfortunately not subscribed to the Athletic, so I didn't see that quote. Where um, 
Dowdy is actually applauding Brent Burns. So um, I don't have that in my notes, but uh, I don't either. <laughs> from 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 a hockey fan's perspective, most people are going to draw this to a guy sitting down and taking shots at division rivals while his team is getting set for an early session of golf instead of playing playoff hockey. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Burns is abundantly better in plus minus than Drew Doughty. He's on the better team. Uh, Burns has posted over 60 points for five straight seasons. Um, He's actually kind of not not even that bad in defense either. Yeah, and and Doughty's career high in points is 60. Yeah, and Burns has six has had 60 plus points in five straight yeah. years. He has over 300 shots in each of the last three campaigns. He could make it four straight if he gets 30 more shots before the end of the year. Yeah, uh, Doughty's career high for shots in a season is 219. Brent Burns has had more than 219 shots six times in his career. And while Burns has uh, the most giveaways since 2014-2015, he has 307 takeaways and counting. Doughty doesn't even have 100. Yeah. So I think it's pretty obvious when you talk about offensive capabilities, Brent Burns is better than Drew Doughty. Um, when you talk about ice time and defensive abilities, then maybe you can make an argument for that. And, and I can see why Doughty makes that kind of an argument. But um, I, I think it's important that the that the general media includes the part where uh, Doughty actually praises Brent Burns and his offensive abilities instead of just focusing on the part where Doughty says, uh, yeah, I just don't get why he should be in the conversation automatically for the Norris when he gives the puck away three times in a game. But then again, like Brent Burns has, has 77 points in 76 games. Like that's... Yeah. You know, that's like in a weird way. It's like you know that that phrase of um, like the best off the best defense is is the is a good offense. So it's kind of yeah. like that where it's like okay, yeah. he, he may not be he may not. Uh, I think he does hit a ton too. Um, he does block a couple of shots as well. So it's um, it's not even that um, it's not even that like he he doesn't do that. But um, you know, it's it's more like. Um, you know, like Brent Burns is very good on offense, and um, and that's like a big reason why he's he's better than a lot of other defensemen because not a lot of other defensemen have that capability to score goals and uh, create, you know, and shoot and pass around and whatnot. So yeah, and and know. while we're talking about offensive defensemen, Morgan Riley's got over seventy points yeah. for the first time career so yeah where where is where is his vote for the norris you know true true um Um, and uh, just one last thing before we go um i don't know if you had anything as well but um like plus minus like has been it's it's not it's not as bad as players playing injured but it is kind of a big pet peeve of mine um where like i feel like it's not the true tell of someone's defensive ability um, I don't even think there is really a stat that does it. Like, yeah, I understand it from, like, a standpoint of, like, it does tell you um, your goals. Like, like if, if you're on the ice um, at a certain time, you know, like, it could tell you that. But, like, at the same time, like, they're, like, if a goal is scored, it's not always that player's fault that's on the ice. The player yeah. on the ice could be like just 
like it like it's not it would be it wouldn't it would be the the reason why the goal was scored was because of some other players defensive lapse so then like you know like let's say i i'm only choosing the sharks just because they're on my mind right now but let's say uh vlasic uh messes up a goal and uh like through some defensive liability and brent burns is also on the ice um that's not on brent burns um even though he gets a minus one it's because like Vlasic uh doesn't have the you know is also getting um isn't doing what he uh you know the defensive capabilities there it was Vlasic's fault there and it's also Martin Jones who gave up the goal so like it's not all on so that's why I don't necessarily feel that plus minus is the true tell of someone's defensive ability but having said that Having being a minus twenty nine is not a good luck. So, yeah. um, so that that's it's it's one of those things where it's like, um, it's not like a true tell of how good someone is de- defensively. It's not like the one stat to rule them all type of thing. But at the same time, like minus thirty minus twenty nine is uh is kind of <laughs> a tough. A tough number to uh, to qualify. I'm surprised he didn't pull out the old, you know, like why should he be concerned for the Norris when he has Eric Carlson on his team type of card. I thought, oh. I thought he was going to pull that out as well. I see. Uh, well, but, I, uh, I think that's it's a little different because I think I don't even think when well for, first of all Carlson's been injured for the most part and Carlson has he hasn't been Carlson. Um, I mean, he had he has had a couple of times where he's been, you know, Eric Carlson that we know um, for a bit. But I think it mostly, I think it's just because Eric Carlson's been injured for the most part is why uh, why he's not necessarily uh, considered for the Norris. Yeah, and and I also think, um, if I remember correctly, um, him and Carlson both shoot uh, the same. So yeah. I, don't I don't think they're on the same. On the same pairing, which yeah. which is why I would say, you know, that's not really that much of a fair argument to say. Oh, you know, Carlson's right. on the same team as him. He should be conservative sure. Norris. You know? They're um, on the now, they're now, on the same team. They're on this. They're, they're a different pairing. That's true too. Yeah. Now, getting uh, to the Mac and Chuck stuff real quick, you you mentioned uh, that uh, that okay. uh, conversation. So, that same conversation, uh, he was asked about Mac and Chuck, and he says he has no respect for him. He respects everyone else. He never talks to him off the ice. He claims that Kachuk is not respected by most in this league. It's not just him. Just a fact. That's basically what he says. Oh. Okay. Um, so that was what Dowdy said on Makachuk uh, yesterday. And uh, I believe it was when the Kings missed the playoffs when they got Bishop at the deadline when Quick was hurt. Um, when um, uh, Kachuk was a rookie that he gave uh, Dowdy this um, clever elbow there uh, behind the net. And I believe Kachuk got suspended for that as well. That was kind of the start of the feud. And um, Dowdy also adds that he doesn't really consider the LA Calgary feud even close to 
the rivalry of the sharks and the ducks because the sharks and the ducks have been just years and years upon battles and bloodshed uh, just culminating in into you know 200 feet of ice um that's just years of hatred building up and one guy doesn't create a rivalry overnight yeah. so i think it's mostly drew daddy and Mackachuk in, instead of la versus calgary uh, because it's strictly, I think, between those two guys in particular. Um, from a Matkachuk standpoint, though, it I think you take it... I think uh, how you take this all depends on how you want to be remembered. If you yeah. want to be remembered as a guy that can score goals, a guy that can pile up points, a guy that can agitate people and get under people's skin and do that to the very best in the game, Dowdy's one of the best defensemen in this game. When he's talking about you off the ice, you're in his head. You get free real estate in his head. You've got his attention. He's not focusing on the game. He's focusing on you. And if you get the best off their game, you're doing your job. And that's what Matkachuk does. Matkachuk is a high-end player like Brad Marchand that can score goals, pile up points, but also really piss you off. Yeah, I was about to say, he's basically the Brad Marchand of the Western Conference. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of interesting that, like, I guess Dowdy just uh, has been taking shots at the uh, players in his division um, publicly. I kind of like, I, I like when uh, players, like, publicly, I know it's, like, just from a fan's perspective, it's just, like, you know, like, we all understand that, like, it's not all, like, this gentlemanly sport where, you know, yeah. we're all nice niceties and all that stuff, but... So it's kind of like cool that they're like he's airing all this uh, stuff out in public like this. Yeah, and he's not like personally attacking Mackachuk. He's yeah. not saying anything mean about Mackachuk. He's just saying what he feels. He's like, I have no respect for him. Zero. Yeah, which is kind of, but I, I guess I'll get into it in the NHLPA poll. But I, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Dowdy was voted the fourth, the the second funniest guy player in the league. Um, yeah. so, so I guess people think he's funny. Um, uh, let's go to another controversy here. Uh, this goes to Bob Nicholson, um, who's the president of uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, he, uh, he had some comments on Tobias Reeder. Um, re, uh, he said a couple of things. Uh, the first, uh, so... We'll, we'll, I'll just go down the list here because this is from Bruce McCurdy, his Twitter, but he had a list of things that uh, Bob Nicholson said about Toby Reader, which every, although I feel like every, which I thought was even weirder than everything that he said is that he's calling him Toby Reader instead of like Tobias Reader. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I've seen gifts of uh, The Office where where Michael Scott is uh, yeah. is just. He's not a fan of a, a Toby, other co-worker yeah. that works in the same building named Toby. And yeah. just anything bad that happens, just like, assault Toby's yeah, fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what Bob Nicholson's doing to poor Toby. Yeah, it's just like Toby. Reader. It's like, you couldn't even call him by his actual, like, the name that yeah. everyone's calling him. It's like, Toby? What? Um, See, this, yeah. this guy is a Toby. Yeah. Don't trust this guy. 
every every single bad thing that happens is because of Toby. Exactly. That's pretty much he, what he's, you're he's paraphrasing. The, he's the black cat walking under the ladder. Uh, Anytime yeah. something bad happens, it's on that cat. Yep. I uh, I was going to I'm I'm going to, about to read the direct quote, but that's basically what he said. Yeah. Or he implied it. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, I guess this is on a radio show. Um, to Toby. So I say quote. Toby Reader will not be signed by the Edmonton Oilers at the end of the year. Toby Reader was a player that other teams wanted. He came here for one year because he wanted to play with Leon Dreisaitl, who he plays with on the German national team. He thought if he wasn't playing with Leon, he'd be playing with Connor. He'd score 15 to 16 goals, and instead of making $2 million, he'd sign a four-year deal extension at uh, $3.5 million. Uh, Toby Reader hasn't scored a goal. Toby Reader has missed so many breakaways. And then here's the most ridiculous thing that it's like up there is like probably the craziest thing that anyone's ever said. Um, if Toby Reader would have scored 10 or 12 goals, we'd probably be in the playoffs. Now, just take that in for a second. If Toby Reader would have scored 10 or 12 goals, we'd probably be in the playoffs. Um,. I, I, so first off, uh, I I don't think uh, Bob Nicholson uh, likes Toby Reader, Tobias Reader. Now I'm calling him Toby. Damn it. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, what's funny is is that Tobias Reader has is is an RFA. Um, so I, I guess they'll just drop him. So, um, but yeah, he has one year left. Um, and. Uh, he he uh Nicholson is right that uh Tobias Reader has not scored a goal um this year. Uh, he has 61 points uh in in 61 games. Um he does have 11 assists though. Um I will say that like there is like you know like having like 16 to 17 goals uh, 15 to 16 goals, that's usually, like, you know, depth is a big part of uh, a team's success. Um, so, so there is that aspect of it. But, like, to say that if, like, that's the, that's the only difference, uh, the, the only thing that's separating the Edmonton Oilers from making the playoffs to not making the playoffs is that... Tobias Reader didn't score enough goals. And that's, <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. He also has, like, he's tw he has 12 minutes on, uh, on ice. So it's not even like he's on the second line or anything. He's on, like, the third or fourth line. Um, it's also, like, uh, uh, like uh, it's not, like, Tobias Reader's fault that, um, you know, Koskinen hasn't been as good as... Uh, the Oilers thought he was. Um, it's not Tobias Reader's fault that, um, you know, Clefbaum and Darnell Nurse are like pretty much their only good defensemen, and like Clefbaum has been injured for half the year. It's not his fault that you haven't figured out how to um, set, um, you know, Connor McDavid with the right line mates. Like pretty much every line mate you set up with McDavid, you're you know it's not working. Ty Ratty, 
Uh, I guess, um, what's his face? Alex Chieson has, has shown something, but that hasn't worked. Um, you know, and I'm not even talking about all the trades that Chirelli's made. And so like, it's, it's basically like, <laughs> like, to, sure, Tobias Reeder could be better on the goal scoring front, but that's far from the main reason why the the Oilers are not in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Nicholson later apologized, um, saying that uh, where he got outside in his comment that Toby would not be here with the Oilers next year, that if he had scored 10, 12, 15 goals, they'd be in the playoffs. He said that's where he went wrong. Um, key point to note here, he also said that Twitter uh, that uh, Tobias Reader has missed so many breakaways. I read on Twitter from a hockey insider that he only has three breakaways in his first 59 games. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess if your definition of so many breakaways is three, yeah, he's <laughs> missed so many breakaways. And also I mentioned um, that he ha- he's averaging 12 minutes on ice. Yeah, so. yeah. Just, just to He's mention that again. The ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bob Nicholson controls the lineups. Yeah. Um. Now, the bigger picture is the Oilers' goaltending has been average to terrible. Yep. Team defense is not where it needs to be. Forward depth is not good enough, and Reader has to wear some of that blame. But he's not the only person to blame. It's not him and him alone that the Oilers are of the playoffs and. Again, I still don't get why hockey executives have the idea to throw players on the bus. Like, yeah. whatever happened to just asking the player to come to your office and just have a chat? Why do you have to freaking roast them over an open fire in front of a group of people in yeah. a forum where they can't properly defend themselves? It solves absolutely nothing. It doesn't wake the team up. It didn't wake the Oilers up. This Oilers team isn't built to win, and that's on ownership. That's on Bob Nicholson and his group. Why doesn't he wear that if he's all about being accountable? This will be the 12th time in 13 years the Oilers have not even made the postseason. That's 12 times in 13 seasons they'll be in the draft lottery. And they already have four first overall picks. And they still don't have it right, even with McDavid, even with Dreisaitl. I guess we might as well blame Toby Reader for all of that too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all his fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like we should get going, but I, yeah, you know, it's funny because like Toby Reader is like the most random person. Yeah, um, of all people, he yeah. calls out is Toby Reader. Yeah, yeah. See, now we're calling he's just, him Toby he's just Reader. Like, he's just like, which player are we gonna call out that we won't have to face repercussions for? Oh, yeah. yeah let's let's pick this guy. Because exactly. if, if we do that to McDavid and Dreisaitl and drag them out of town, oh boy, we're in trouble. Right, right. I mean, they're they're already in trouble, but yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, it's just a strange story. Um, it, it is weird that we're even talking about it for this long um, yeah. in the first place. Um, then, uh, all right, uh, Joe Pavelski has a lower body injury. I guess it, it's unclear... Uh, when he'd be back, but it does say that he, uh, it's a lower body, um, it does, it also says that it's, he's day-to-day, um, 
but yeah, yeah. I, I think they're taking precaution just as much precaution with this as they are with Carlson where yep. uh, Pavelski actually feels that he thinks he could play if he had to but in an effort to go all in for the playoffs it's wise to make sure he's well rested for the playoffs like they're yep. doing with Carlson um, he's also a pending unrestricted free agent so this might be the last season he plays for the Sharks and he's having a great year he's three goals shy of hitting 40 in a season for the second time in his career um, at least 60 points in six straight years um, his shooting percentage has gone way up compared to last year it was at like 10 or 11 percent last year it's at 21 percent this year so if they want a healthy and effective Joe Pavelski, probably setting him as the wise option here. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Um, I also love that they're not disclosing the injury, and it's yeah. just lower body, because uh, right. if it's something that players could target, then, you know, they're obviously going to target it. Well, they're, they're going to target his lower body for sure, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but, but not to give him specific ammo, like, yeah, it's his knee. Well, that, that's just what teams do. It's not like you never see, like, a guy... Like, it never says exactly what body part this person injured. It's always lower body, upper body, whatever, or concussion. Um, but, yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Um, I do kind of want to talk about this NHL poll, NHL PA poll quickly. Uh, but first, uh, Jimmy Howard gets an extension for one year for $4 million. Um, you know, I think Detroit's on a, like a rebuild anyway, so I I kind of like that deal. Um, not it's unclear about what the like. It doesn't seem like Bernier has been great for Detroit, but um, it does seem like you know Jimmy Howard's kind of like a solid goaltender. Um, he just happens to be on a bad team. Um, so so yeah, I like that move. Yeah, he actually just turned 35 today, so this uh, uh, 35 and over deal yeah. uh, does not have a no move, does not have a no trade. Um, also could make $1.1 million in bonuses depending on how his season goes. Yeah. Um, 908 state percentage for his age and considering the Detroit team that he's on, that's not too bad. Um, and the, the real thing to keep in mind here is the Wings don't have a young goalie of the future that really sticks out to me. They have Bernie for another season or two. They got Howard for another season, and that's about it. So, yep. um, I, I think it's I think he's a good option to ride out. But uh, there could be a few more of these one year deals unless uh, they get a young bully that could uh, take the reins. So, for sure, uh, he, he could still have a job with them uh, even beyond this year. Yep, uh, for sure. Uh, the NHL PA poll uh, came out this week. It's a lot of interesting details here. Like, I guess there were a couple of, like, non-surprises here. I'll just say what stood out to me, and then um, if you have any more to add, feel free to add it afterwards. Um, uh, so, yeah, of course, like, people were saying that McDavid's the best forward uh, to play, the uh, best forward in the league. Uh, Carey Price was the considered the best goaltender in the league, which I thought was kind of interesting because like he's kind of uh, been a little bit unheralded lately this uh, you know these past couple of years. But um, Carey Price is back on top there. Um, I did think it was kind of interesting that people thought that uh, Victor Hedman was the best defenseman. Um, he won by thirty one percent. Then came comes Drew Doughty and then Brent Burns. 
and then Eric Carlson, and then Yossi finishes this off. Um, so, like, all all bunch of good choices, obviously, but um, I thought it was interesting that uh, more people thought that Hedman was better than all these other guys. Um, there. Um, underrated. I always... I, underrated is kind of such a weird term for me because uh, it's like how do you even properly rate someone really um, and uh, so Barkov uh, was considered the most underrated player uh, he has 21.5 percent I believe he's like he's been like the best player um, there's like some absurd stat that I remember watching some uh that like since like february barkov has like 50 points in 30 games or something like that which is amazing yeah he's been one of the top scorers um i can't remember how far back but yeah like uh in 2019 he's really raised his level what's also really good last year what's also interesting is who finished second which was nick backstrom yeah probably the most underrated of the bunch and he's not even the most underrated player. Well, He's I was still underrated of the underrated. Well, I was gonna say that I feel like Backstrom has always been the underrated player, like to the yeah. point where it's kind of like the Louis Erickson stuff, like back back when Louis Erickson was in his prime, where like you know, like like Louis Erickson was always considered the most underrated, but then it was to the point where he started to become overrated. Um, where you know so it's like i feel like it's the same for barkov and backstrom where like whenever you mention barkov or backstrom like yeah they're not talked about as much but you know they're kind of like it's to the point where like now we're talking about them being underrated to the point where it does the reverse effect where they're known as the underrated people so they're not even underrated anymore um Braden Point, which I thought was a good one, um, as well as Rantanen um, and Kuznetsov also were on this list. Um, Just personally, um, I saw this, that Bergeron was voted third most difficult player to play against, uh, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I guess face-offs are a big deal, so I guess a lot of centers uh, said that. Um, Of course, McDavid and Crosby... uh, were the first two um but like what was crazy is that like Bergeron beat out McKinnon and Kopitar um so that I guess that's not surprising you know Bergeron's won all these selkies it's not like you know people do respect him in in that sense um and you know his defensive play is unheralded um just as much as his offensive play is uh but what I thought was kind of crazy and so this is coming from a Bruins fan but Bergeron was voted the fourth player you would want to start a franchise with that's absurd to me <laughs> um, like, yeah. uh, like I mean don't get me wrong I, I love Bergeron he's he, one of my favorite players to watch and it um, should also be noted McDavid got 60% of that yeah. vote but uh, yeah, I don't know exactly the percentage that Bergeron got, but if you're going to start a, a franchise from scratch, and, and I should mention that McDavid, Crosby, and Matthews um, were the first three. And I should also mention that if you're not picking McDavid um, for this answer, you're, you're doing it wrong. Uh, McDavid's the answer all the way. 
But you just you just yeah. need better management. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like the fact that he beat out Nathan McKinnon, or like I was trying to think of like other players that I would want to start a franchise of Kucherov, um, Brent Burns, Carlson, uh, even like I don't know, um, even like a goalie like Hellebuck maybe Anderson. Uh, you know, like, uh, Carey Price, it, it just, like, it just, it seems, like, absurd to me that, um, Bergeron was on this list, um, I mean, whatever, uh, <laughs> at least, uh, I don't know, it's, that seemed crazy to me, um, also, it's funny how Cro they said that Crosby would make the best NHL GM, I'm not even sure that Crosby would be the best GM, per se, um, a couple of other players on that list of the NHL GM list uh, here was Jason Spezza, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Brooks Orpic, uh, Mark Scheifele, um, he also has a bit of offensive streak there, but, um, and then Derek Stepan, which I thought, I could see that happening, but uh, I, I thought it was interesting that, because I don't really, when I think of Crosby, I, I, yeah, he definitely has hockey sense, but, like, you know, when I think of, like, like, like Gretzky wasn't like a good hockey like GM or ex executive, so it seems kind of uh, like a weird thing for me for that. Um, and uh, what's also interesting is that PK Subban would be the best TV analyst yeah. after his playing days are done, which I, I could also see. I could see that, but I, I just I don't know if like Crosby would even want to be a GM. I feel it, yeah. like. You that's know, that's one of those things. It's, it, front yeah. office is not for everybody. Yeah, I mean, like, you do have your Yeisermans and your Sackics who are all on the equal level as Crosby is, but um, I don't know. I, I, feel, I, I, don't, I just don't know if, if he would necessarily be a GM. Um, he may be, like, a, I don't know, a scout or be, like, a player agent like Bobby Orr, but yeah. I don't know. Um, I, just, I just don't see it. Um, and then lastly, before I, I give your takeaway, or I, I take it to you for your takeaways, uh, but 66.8% of these players uh, who voted uh, would be in favor of nicknames on the back during a regular season game, uh, which I think would be kind of cool uh, to see all the different nicknames around. Yeah. I know I, I, I picked a lot of them here, but... Um, those are all the interesting ones that stood out to me. Yeah, well, we might as well go through uh, the venues list then. Uh, the best overall atmosphere seems to be the T-Mobile Arena over in Vegas. Uh, can't really complain there just by what I've seen. Um, I think the atmosphere uh, from the fan, not just from the fans, but the pregame spectacles, the intermission segments... Um, it's just all so different and something the NHL hasn't seen before, so I'm comfortable giving Vegas that. Uh, Bell Center in Montreal voted uh, as the best ice, which is probably because, um, unlike, you know, U.S. markets that also have uh, NBA teams playing in them, um, Montreal doesn't really have anything going on besides, you know, maybe concerts and and, uh, and, you know, like Dizzy on Ice and maybe comedians doing sketches like Ottawa. So yep. um, that could contribute to that. And uh, the best mascot, not surprisingly, Gritty. Yep. Which I'm more comfortable giving to now. I'm, I'm 
I'm more accepting of Gritty than I was at the beginning. So, uh, also Keith Yandel being the funniest player, which was yeah. also interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. All right, uh, <laughs> I realize it's we may not have a ton of time here, but uh, Bruins and Sens, uh, you're going first uh, this week. Okay, so after a big win over Toronto, the Sens headed to Western Canada for their annual road trip. It didn't start off necessarily well against Vancouver on Wednesday. Bo Horvat opening things up with his 26th of the season. Uh, in the second period, Pearson and uh, Bertanen scored before Besser got the Canucks' second power play goal of the evening to make it 4-0. Shots were lopsided 19-6 for Vancouver as well in that second period, and they made good on one of their first opportunities in the third. 5-0 game, surely Pearson's second of the game seals the deal for Vancouver. Except the Sens have other ideas as Max Verano gets his first career NHL goal to put Ottawa on the board. Next thing you know, with two minutes left in the game, it goes from a 5-0 game to a 5-4 game thanks to four goals in less than nine minutes on 12 shots. Um, or actually just over nine minutes. But either way, four goals on 12 shots. Sens are back in business. Um, of course, they can't complete the comeback. In fact, the Canucks actually score twice in the final minute and change to win 7-4. to four. So no no fairy tale ending there. But again, I do love the Sens no-quit mentality to bow back from a game that was probably lost um, and really make a game of it, uh, even if it was against uh, Vancouver. But again, let's not kid ourselves. The Sens are the way that they are. They're in the position they're in for a reason, and we saw why. Onwards to Alberta for a game against the Flames where Brady Kachuk was making a few fans off the ice before it. Uh, got into this flossing match with a young Sens fan that went on for a few minutes. The kid was able to outlast the NHLer and was rewarded with a puck from Brady Kachuk himself. Attaway Brady, way to be a good a cute, Canadian kid and give back to the It was a cute moment. Fans. Very cute Yeah, moment. it was very cute. It was very cute. I... That warmed my heart. Yep. What also warmed my heart is the Sens getting off to a good start. Dylan DeMello, just 4.30 into period one. Ottawa's up one nothing. That was, of course, the only goal Ottawa scored, and they proceeded to give up five unanswered goals on 36 shots. Uh, Fred, uh, uh, Craig Anderson uh, taking the L on that one. The Sens, as a team, only getting 19 shots. And Matt Kachuk scoring against his brother's team. So um, I believe that means Matt Kachuk and Brady Kachuk both finished the season with a goal against each other. So um, I guess they're even there. Uh, Calgary ends up taking all four of a possible four points against the Sens, which, again, isn't all that surprising. It's off to Edmonton for a Saturday afternoon matchup after that loss. Um, and this Oilers team still has playoff aspirations somehow. They still have something to play for. Um, but... After this game, uh, this could end up being uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, in between Chason's 21st year, by the way, he also played for the Sens once upon a time, uh, involved in that Jason Spets trade. That's right. Um, Brady Kachuk, Bobby Ryan get uh, on the board with a power play goal apiece. Sens are up 2-1 after one. Connor McDavid, of course, gets the only goal of the second period. Uh, Gibbons and Cave exchange goals in the third. OT is needed to decide a winner. And then a trickler from Brady Kachuk finds its way past Koskin and into the net. Ottawa wins 4-3. And this is probably one of the few games this year that Ottawa's played where they had not trailed for a single second. They were either tied or in the lead. 
Um, and it also ended a brutal stretch for Craig Anderson, who hadn't won a single game in 14 straight decisions, hadn't won a game in 2019, um, and he's able to break the schneid and get the win. So very good for him. Also, uh, the Sens will have, sorry. Go on. sorry, go on. I was going to say the Sens will have played Buffalo by the time you hear this. So I'll recap that game next week. They play Florida Thursday, Toronto on Saturday, and they'll have uh, tests against Tampa Bay in Columbus in the final week of the season. Sorry, Brett, you were saying. Uh, I, I don't know if you were going to mention this, but uh, Thomas Shabbat returned. Yes, I uh, was also going to mention Thomas Shabbat, Colin White as well, both returned from injury. Zach Smith is a little bit banged up. Uh, Pajot was also suspended one game for his hit on Vancouver's Ashton Sautner. Uh, looked suspendable on the play, served it against Calgary. Now he's back in the lineup. Okay. Um, they also uh, made quite a bit of noise off the ice. I don't know if you heard. They're looking for a new president of hockey operations to help Pierre Dorian and his staff with the rebuild, which is helping the front office is something this team has needed for a long time. Their front office is not up to the normal standards of the NHL front office. It's way too small. They need more bodies. They need more input. They need a fresh I wonder, face. And they they need someone to help them out. So I wonder if they this, should have done the I wonder if this means that, like, what this means for Dorian. Um, like, is, is this guy going to be, like, is, is this president going to fire this GM to get another guy? Or is this going to be a guy that's going to help Dorian? Um, um, I think it all depends on how things go in the first year or two and how much progress this yep. team is making and, and how Dorian helps his team. Sure. Uh, but I, I definitely think you need a guy in place in case the guy that you've hired to do a job doesn't do it well. So I think in hindsight, maybe it could be the beginning of the end for Pierre Dorian, but... I think a president of hockey operations is something this team needs badly. Yep. And um, they need help in the front office badly. So I think this is more helping Dorian than it would be hindering. Uh, so I, I don't really think of this as, you know, starting the funeral for Pierre Dorian's time with the Sens. But um, okay. it, 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 it all depends on um, how much progress this team makes. Uh, also, a Eugene Melnick in the news again. Uh, he went on Ottawa and Toronto Airways to talk about his team as well as the state that it's in right now. Um, what's interesting is he goes on Toronto Airways first instead of Ottawa because apparently the Sens have real estate in Toronto or something. Like, this is what boggles me. Why did he go to Toronto first to talk about what yeah. was happening when the people of the Ottawa Senators deserve to know it first? For a second of all, do you think Toronto fans give a crap about the Sens? No, nope. they do. No, no, they don't. They don't. So why go on Toronto radio before you go on Ottawa radio, where Ottawa radio actually cares about Ottawa sports? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 just, it just boggles the mind. Um, he does go on Ottawa radio a day after, so I'll give him credit for that. And um, here's, here's, here are a couple of interesting clips. Uh, so he says, to win a Stanley Cup, you have to have four to five superstar types all around the same age, all around the same young age, in the mid-20s the mo at the most, and a very, very high top flight, uh, and a very, very hot top flight goalie. Players like Stone would be too old if they signed uh, to a big long-term contract now. So that's part of what he said. 
Now, I do agree that signing these guys to long-term deals when a club isn't expected to win is certainly a risk, especially if you have to trade those big contracts down the road because that hinders the value we get for them. So I do see what he's trying to address there. At the same time, though, they had four to five star talents. None of them were at the age of 30 at the time they signed their contracts. Stone's not even at 27 no. until a few months from now. So to say, that's, to say that Mark Stone is too old right now is a bit of a contradiction. Yeah. It, it kind of seems to sense are trying to somewhat justify what they did over the last couple of months uh, towards the trade deadline. And I don't think they can sell it to the fans no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they change the message. Yeah. The Sens fans are just going to believe what they want. They believe the track record. The track record isn't good. And they're going to hold that over Milling's head and the ownership's head, whether they like it or not. Yeah, the, this um, was one of those... Sorry. Uh, sorry to butt in here. But no, this no. Was, you, you, you tried, man. I, like, uh, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot to say on this, too. Yeah, this... I mean, I, I was... I was I was more angry about this than than you were, it seemed, through the email. Uh, but, yeah, no, this was one of those things where it's like, uh, like, yeah, I guess, I guess, like, Carlson is, like, 29 now, right? Um, but, like, even still, like, uh, so it's not like a, or, like, uh, he's not, like, that old. Um, but, like, still, so when he's saying that they have, you, in order to win... Stanley Cup, you need four players, top, like, elite talent players. And uh, so the Sens had that. Uh, you know, Carlson, Duchesne, uh, Mark Stone. Um, who was the other one that I'm blanking on? Oh, and uh, I don't even think the single counts there, but uh, who's the other one? I don't know if a tourist counts as well, but... I had the other one that I, uh... You mean the first overall pick that will probably go to Colorado? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you could count, like, Zabinijad, but that was a couple of years ago. Um, but, yeah, and, yeah, and the Broussard trade worked for a year, to be fair, but... Yeah. True, true. Um, but, like, you know... It, but, it was mostly those three guys, though. Mostly like, those, those three guys, three yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, so you had those guys... And then, um, but then you like trade them away. So like, you can't like, so when you say that, like, yeah, you can make an argument that you do need a lot of young talent. Um, and you do need a top flight goalie. I'm not necessarily sure that Craig Anderson was ever going to be that guy. Um, but, uh, but sure. He had, he definitely had his moments a couple of years ago, but like, it just seemed crazy to me that, like, to even say that out loud in public. Like, I guess it's fine if you want to say that privately, but just to, like, say that, like, it just it seemed crazy to me because it's, like, don't you, like, you can't, like, he just disproved his whole point of, like, saying that, like, oh, you need, you need four young players, uh, players at an elite talent when you had oh Hoffman that was the other guy Mike Hoffman yeah right um like you had those guys I mean of course Hoffman isn't up to like he's he's up there but not up there compared to those other three but he's like still, yeah he's still a goal scorer goal yeah scorer. he's still yeah. he's still very valuable so it's like uh so you had those guys um and then you publicly say it it's just 
just like do you know what you just did the past two years that it just like it, it boggled my mind uh, on that level where it's just like he basically contradicted himself um it's fine if you're gonna rebuild i have no problem with that but if you're going to say that like you like oh if you need to in order to win in this league you need four uh 20 like young players in the league it's like you already have you already have those guys but you traded them away to for like two uh in the last two years it, it i i don't get i don't get it anyway. when you do when you do so many questionable things and you try to justify you're doing and kind you recontracting yourself yeah and when you have trust issues with fans and you say stuff like that, you're unintentionally just giving them more analysts of why they shouldn't trust you. Yep. And I, I applaud Melnick for at least coming on and Ottawa radio and at least speaking his mind because at, at the end of the day, he, he sounded somewhat committed to helping the Sens win a Stanley Cup. Uh, whether the Sens fans believe it or not, it's up to them. But at least, at, at least he has the moxie to go out there and and speak his his mind and and, yeah. and at least give give answers, even if they're not the answers you want to hear. At least he's giving you answers so that you can make decisions for yourself. Of okay, do I want to cheer for this team anymore? It it. it it's yeah. better than staying silent. That's true. And not giving it to him. Yeah, no, and, that's true. And, and I guess the, and just leaving the fans hanging. You know. No, that's true. It's at least he, he had to his credit. He has been upfront up about it, so I do appreciate that aspect of it. Uh, but the, the one, the one thing though that just, should be noted is this is his first radio interview in Ottawa since 2017. Uh, it's 2019 right now. So. <laughs> Just keep up the accountability. Yeah. Keep making yourself more open to interviews, and and just keep that dialogue going with the media because the media connect with the fans. Yep. And radio and TV are a good way of doing that. For now, sure. uh, speaking of uh, speaking of fans, um, he suddenly took a shot at the Leafs rebuild because they oh, forgot yeah. about defense. Um, first off, I doubt the Leafs care when they're miles ahead of Ottawa and definitely a lot for the postseason for the foreseeable yeah. future. Um, but uh, that was another part of the conversation that uh, intrigued me. That was what, what, what did you think when you heard that? That one, yeah, that was kind of just like, well, I mean, that was more just, um, it was kind of weird because it's like, I mean, sure, you have Shabbat and now you have Brandstrom in this system, but you still don't know really. Uh, what they're like they could both develop into like average players you know so it's like it's this weird to gloat or uh, even comment about another team's rebuild when they haven't even re rebuilt themselves yet or we don't know exactly what their rebuild is going to be I'd be okay with it if if we find out that Brandstrom and Shabbat are the play like the defensemen of the future but to comment right now um, seems crazy to me yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, there are two other quotes that really that really interested me. 
So the first one, he takes a shot at the mayor of Ottawa saying that Jim Watson is lucky that, quote, I keep my mouth shut and adds he should keep his mouth shut. <laughs> first of all, the mayor of Ottawa is fighting for Ottawa and the best interest of the city. Melnick is fighting for the best interest of the Ottawa centers. Both are trying to do what is in their job description, and that's represent and fight for their people. And if Melnick, if uh, Jim Watson... Uh, has comments about Melnick and and the ownership and like stuff with like the LeBreton Flats and now he's disappointed on and all of those negotiations and 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 whatever else. Um, I agree that maybe it impacts Melnick's ability to try and sell the team and 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 uh you know like sell the team like you know like promote the team not sell literally sell the team but to promote the team promote the brand and promote the city. It might hurt Eugene Melnick in that respect, but it's also a two-way street because the Sens management has not helped themselves over the several weeks and months since November 2017. That doesn't help sell the city. It doesn't promote the team. It hurts everybody. So I, again, you know, you, you gotta wear some of that as well. And speaking of wearing it, and and speaking of hurting. He calls the tactics of a reporter. He didn't say the name of the reporter. Everyone quickly uh, put the two and two together and realized it was TSNZ and Mendez. He called the tactics of a reporter, quote unquote, Bush League during that interview. Uh, and the word uh, as to what he's talking about Bush League is apparently Pierre Dorian was um, almost ambushed in an interview with Ian Mendez of TSN 1200. And the sentence owner is tired of antics like that, which is why he wouldn't go on TSN 1200 to talk about all this, even though TSN 1200 has all the broadcasting rights to sense games. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think TSN is trying to hold the big shoes accountable for what's going on. I doubt Eugene Melnick listens to Ottawa Radio 24-7. I doubt Pierre Dorian is because he's got a team to run. They've got to hear from those angry fans to understand what the climate is like. If he if he plays, if Ian Mendes plays an angry caller, not to ambush him and, and say, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like maybe maybe you would think that's ambushing. I, I just call it airing the thoughts of an angry fan that's sick and tired of the bullcrap that's going on, that wants change, that wants accountability. And they need to understand what the climate is like and not it's one thing to just say what the fans said through your mouth it's important that they hear the tone the intensity the anger in their voice of that fan and if dorian says the markstone trade is one of the happiest moments he's had as a gm i don't blame ian mendez for trying to take him to task on that because these are tough times in ottawa where all-star talents are getting traded left, right, and center. Accountability has to be taken on all sides. There's going to be rough patches with the media, but the media is trying to do a job just like the owner's trying to do a job, just like the GM is trying to do a job. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. Unless there's something I'm missing, because I didn't hear the actual uh, part of the interview where Dorian is being ambushed. I just hear the part where... Melnick, or, or where Mendez uh, asked Dorian if he if there's a disconnection between the team and the fans, and and he kind of stars a little bit, so maybe it was before that where uh, he played the clip, but that that 
that's that's just one of those days where it, it's pretty tough to prepare yourself for. And even if he had a couple of days to prepare for that interview, to prepare for hearing that audio, do you think he could have given a better answer than what he did? I don't think so. No. Because you can't really you can't really have an explanation for what's going on in Ottawa right now. It's just an absolute mess. And everyone's just got to navigate it. Everyone's just got to suck it up, take a deep breath and just get, and just take it day by day and get through it together. Because if, if there's more division, things aren't going to get better. In fact, things could get somehow much worse than what they already are. And, and this is rock bottom for Ottawa. It's never been this bad with this team. True. The good news is the OHL's Ottawa team, the 67s, are doing much better. Um, their uh, first-round series with the Bulldogs is underway. By the time you hear this, Game 3 will be wrapped up. It's being played in Hamilton. Ottawa took Games 1 and 2. They took Game 1 by a score of 9-3, uh, Game 2 by a score of 5-2. to Hamilton, I'll give them credit. The Bulldogs did a good job of hanging around for the first half. Uh, but Ottawa was able to turn the dial up an extra notch or two in the second half in both games. Uh, in game one, the score was 2-1 to one for the Bulldogs, actually, uh, in the second period. But then Ottawa gets uh, three unanswered goals to go up 4-2. to two. They increase their lead to 5-2, to two, then 6-2 in the third. And uh, they end up winning that game 9-3. to three. Uh, In the second game, their special teams continued to do work. Um, the power play in game one was... Four for six, I believe. And in the early stages of game two, they got a shorthanded goal, followed that up with two power play goals, and then got an even strength goal, and then got a power play goal late. So four five goals scored in game two by Ottawa were on the special team side. Uh, what's also working well for Ottawa is their puck control. Like the way the 67s were able to move that puck is a cut above Hamilton's. I don't think it's on the same stick for more than two seconds. It's just like a second, second and a half, give it to one guy. Second, second and a half, give it to the next guy. And that really helps with the pace and the flow of the game if you're Ottawa. And it led to a lot of quality chances for the 67s, especially early on in the game, uh, in the game that I attended, which was game two. Um, that being said, I don't think this series is going to be a cakewalk. I think the Bulldogs are going to make it close. Uh, like I said, Game 3 is in Hamilton on Tuesday. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I still think the 67 stand a good chance of a series win in five, perhaps six games at the most. Um, I also don't rule out a sweep, but I don't see it happening just based on the talent that the Bulldogs still have. They still have Archer Callia. They still have uh, Matthew Strong, who's a Flyers prospect. They have a lot of pride. It's been a very physical series, a lot of extracurriculars after the whistle. It's a division robbery, so both teams are going to be in it. Yeah, both teams are going to be into it. Um, it's going to be a battle right to the final buzzer of the final game. Um, so I expect it to be a close, tight series. But um, if Ottawa continues to turn up the dial in the second half like they did in games one and two, they're able to do that in Hamilton. Um, the Bulldogs are not going to have much of a shot of coming back here. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of an update we have next week. Yeah, that should be interesting. Um, you went a little bit too long than I thought uh, <laughs> there, but it's, it's all right. I have a bit to cover. We're going to go past the two-hour mark here. Uh, yeah. But all right. Uh, that's usually 
our typical podcast is two hours yeah. or just over two hours. Yeah, basically. Um, but whatever. Um, we'll deal. Um, I, uh, anyway, so the Bruins, uh, played the Islanders. Well, first off, uh, David Pasternak's back. Uh, so it's exciting news there. Um, he, uh, so he played in this game against the Islanders. Um, it's kind of like, you know, it was one of those games where this game was like, you know, it was five, nothing, but, um, it was pretty close throughout. Uh, like the, the, it was one of those games where the score didn't seem like it, uh, to tell the full truth. Um, Sean Corrali, Noel Charlie, Sean, uh, Sean Corrali get goals there. Uh, Corrali gets two goals. Um, Noel Charlie gets one goal. Um, it's kind of cool to see that, like, you know, the depth guys, uh, the fourth line guys are getting, uh, are finally getting their, you know, their due and they're getting, um, their hard work there. Uh, we'll talk about Sean Corrali in a second, but, um, he, uh, um, you know, him specifically, he's been, uh, he's been phenomenal. Um, and then, uh, Patrice Bergeron gets another goal and Jake DeBrusque, uh, gets an unassisted goal, um, to make it five, nothing. Uh, this also, uh, showed that, uh, Chara and Matt Martin got in a fight, um, in the second period. Um, this is one of those things where like, like, I mean, Matt Martin's, I guess, feared ha- is respected by everyone in terms of, like, uh, pe- players you don't want to mess with. But he was messing, messing with Zdeno Chara. It was, it was kind of crazy. It felt like Chara was just, like, humoring Matt Martin in a way. Like, it didn't even seem like there were any hard feelings between the two of them. But they did f- fight, um, and that was uh, the interesting part about that game. To grasp, I do applaud Matt Martin for at least be willing to drop the gloves and actually follow through yeah. on it with a guy like Zdeno Chara, who's clearly taller than him. True. Uh, this was also on the day that uh, Chara signs an ex- a one-year extension. Uh, it was uh, $2, two million, uh base salary, and then it's up to $1.75 million in performance bonuses. Uh, Chara is like 43 years old at, at this point, and he's playing 20-plus minutes a night. Which is incredible. Um, at his age, um, yeah, sure, he's not as good as he used to be, but um, he's still very useful. He's still like uh, he still has that presence, um, which I mean happens when you're like six foot seven um, and and all that stuff. So he's he's still like he's not as fast as he used to be, but he's still effective. And um, you know, I'm I'm all for this uh, signing for them. Um, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely a good depth move. Yeah. Um, like you said, um, you know, 42, 43, his best years are probably behind him. He's not the Norris Trophy defenseman he used to be, but yeah. still a good veteran presence uh, that everyone rallies around. The captain's going to be around for another year. Um, yep. They good leadership with Bird on his well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, it's like keeping the good times rolling in Boston and and keeping uh, the good amount of character that uh, that you still have. And uh, d- definitely when you have a, the tallest guy in the league on your side, um, you know, people will will be careful uh, not to mess with you uh, too much. For sure. Uh, the Bruins um, then play the Devils uh, the next game. Uh, Bergeron scores. Uh, then you get Pasternak. 
Um, he gets his first goal when he, he since he's been back. Um, so that line has been uh, very good because uh, they both, uh, all three of them, um, got the same. Um, you know, they all they all assisted or contributed to the first two goals in the game. Uh, Drew Stafford uh, scores in the second period um, to make it 2-1. But then in the third period, which is when the Bruins truly went off, uh, Dan Heinen scores, and then Patrice Bergeron gets his 30th goal of the year, um, which was an empty netter. Um, and then David Backus gets uh, his sixth goal of the year. Uh, so that was cool to see. Um, David Backus has actually been playing ever since the, those comments had been public the, that he's going to be more of an enforcer. He's actually been pretty, pretty good uh, lately. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't been like too negative or like he's been contributing on on a good line. Um, specifically, um, which we'll get into uh, in the next game, but specifically, uh, he's been on the line with Achari and Joachim Nordstrom. Which is kind of interesting because they're all like known as like defensive guys now, um, but like they're they're kind of like showing up on the score sheet now, um, which is cool to see. And on you know like that's when you know like a team is special when like guys that you expect to be defensive are all, all of a sudden scoring um, points at the same time. Yeah, so. and they're all on the same page and they're all contributing. Yeah, so, so that was good to see. And, and not worried about personal stats. Exactly. Um, so that was good to see. Um, and then um, and then in the uh, next game, the, the Bruins played the Panthers. Uh, this was kind of like a, a crazy game just because... Um, there were there were so many goals for the Bruins. They truly went off. Um, the uh, the Bruins had uh, so Noel Chari. Speaking of which, uh, Noel Chari gets a goal. Um, David Backus gets an assist. Uh, Connor Clifton, I believe that was his first game of his NHL career. So that was uh, good to see. Uh, Brad Marchand um, scores to make things two nothing. Then you get Jace Harlick, uh scores for the F Florida Panthers. Um, and then uh, Zdeno Ochara scores, Carlson Kuhlman. Uh, so now it's 4-1. Um, and then Mike Hoffman makes it 4-2. Then you get Steve Kampfer, David Pasternak, uh, uh, which makes it 6-2. Uh, um, and then Vincent, and then in the third period you have uh, a power play for Vincent Trocek uh, to make it 6-3, and then uh, Patrice Bergeron gets his second empty netter of the week um, uh, to make it 7-3. Um, yeah, this was one of those things where it's just, as, as you know, this was one of those games where, um, as you can tell, that it was just a, a bunch of scoring from the Bruins side, um, and it was like, Basically, the Bruins controlled the night the entire way. Uh, I, I remember seeing that, like, Sam Montebello, who was the goalie uh, for Florida, he was always, like, um, it seemed like he was always, like, he had gotten stuff going, but they kept him in the entire night, which I felt was strange. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it seemed like that was a good win, but, it, again, it's like Florida, they're not in the playoffs. 
Um, yeah, and he, he actually played it in the Leafs game uh, on Monday night. Oh, uh, that must and, have been nice. um, two goals and four shots, uh, not even five minutes in, and his night was done. So okay. that, was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, they kept him in for the Boston game, yet uh, when he falls blind early against Toronto, they're just like, okay, that's enough. Right, that must have been it then. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then the Bruins played uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. Uh, this is this had like a playoff atmosphere um, going on here. Um, full disclosure, I didn't actually watch this game. I was kind of busy, uh, but I I did watch the highlights. Um, there was a couple. I think that uh, so I'll just start things off. Steven Stamkos starts the night with a goal. Uh, Brad Marchand then gets a goal to tie things up. Then you have uh, Steven Stamkos again. Um, so I remember I get like score updates on my phone. I remember when I saw this, I was like, oh, okay. So I guess the Bruins aren't gonna like it's it's, it's like it's not over, but it's you know it's it's gonna be one of those things where the Lightning um, are gonna are gonna win this thing. But then all of a sudden. Um, Charlie Coyle scores, Brandon Carlo scores, um, to make it 3-2, and then, uh, Brad Marchand gets another goal. So that's three unanswered goals for the Bruins in the second period. Um, yeah, it was on eight, it was on eight shots too, like it wasn't yeah. even that many shots. But it, it was impressive, especially because Brandon Carlo isn't really our offensive player for us, or mm-hmm. as, as far as defensemen go. Um, and like, you know, it was cool seeing that Charlie Coyle was able to get up on the score sheet as well. But like, you know, it's just like, oh, like I remember thinking this was around the time when I I started watching, um, in the third period, but like, I was like, oh, it's like four, two, like we may actually beat the lightning this time. Um, like I, I, I had no expectations that we were going to beat the lightning this time. And then uh, we get this barrage where uh, Victor Hedman scores. Then you get uh, a goal for Kucherov, who ties things up. And then within the last minute, we don't even get a point in this game. Uh, Anthony Sorelli scores. Um, I take this up more toward just watching the highlights and watching all these goals. I take it more to be like, it wasn't all Tuka Rask's fault. It wasn't like he, uh, he couldn't win in big moments or anything like that but um i think it was it was more of that i mean obviously tampa is a really good team um but like at the same time like you know the bruins were like killing so many like i'm just looking at all these stats here like the bruins were killing so many penalties um or the bruins uh or uh like they were there was about like five there's five penalties for the bruins in the second and third period, um, and that like in a couple of the times they were on like, you know, actually not a couple of times, but uh, they had to be killing so many penalties here. So it's just impressive that you're able to. I don't even think the Lightning scored on the power play at all. Um, no, they didn't. So like, so that's an impressive feat on its own that they were able to kill that many penalties against a really good team like Tampa. I mean, obviously I would like the win or at least a point in overtime, but um, it is it is something that I kind of like, if, if this is a second round matchup, um, I kind of look forward to that. 
um, like this, this could be a fun series for sure. Um, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself, you know, you mm -hmm. have to, you have to get towards, uh, you have to be Toronto first. Um, I'm going to title this section cause it feels like we talk about Brad Marchand every week, um, just for his off ice stuff. Um, he, uh, Joe Haggerty had a column against, um, after they, uh, beat Joe Haggerty, by the way, he, uh, writes for, uh, sport, not Sportsnet, but, uh, the Comcast Sports Network. Mm -hmm. Um, he, ha if you, uh, if you haven't read any of his articles, he writes a lot of clickbait type articles. It, he's, he's very much like Felger in that, like, he's very into the hot take alert, he wants every guy traded. Um, he doesn't think, especially he doesn't think Tuka Rask is a good goaltender. But um, uh, he had a game recap on, he usually does this like, what we learned type of article after every game. Um, and then he, uh, the headline was, are the Bruins better without Tory Krug in the lineup? Uh, Tory Krug is day to day, by the way. Um, and uh, at least defensively, there's an argument to be made. Um, and then Brad Marchand uh, quote tweeted that tweet, that article. And he says, what kind of garbage is this, Hags? You don't even watch the games. You just stand at the snack bar the whole time. Which uh, I think is a hilarious, um, a hilarious That is a vintage tweet. Brad Marchand's yeah. response. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's what makes him the best trash talk talker and the worst trash talker according to the NHLPA but yeah it was uh so that was like a it was like a funny thing where he was like um you know like you hardly see that where players actually like comment on uh reporters or analysts and stuff but um it was just kind of funny that he uh he was he called him out like that um and then uh, Joe Haggerty meant, uh, replied, said, at the end of the day, I actually agree that you guys are clearly better off with Krug in the lineup, but just doing my job and asking the tough questions, Marshy, and I never ever hit the snack bar when number 63 is on the ice, my angry little elf friend. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that was um, interesting. You know, it's... Uh, you know, as for that question, like, yeah, like, are the Bruins better off with a Krug, without Krug? Um, like, does Krug mess up defensively? Yes. Um, could he be better on defensively? Yes. But, like, the, uh, this, the amount of work and contributions he does to the ice, like, on the offensive side of things, especially the power play, um, he's vital to us. Uh, vital to the Bruins um, in that regard. So I, um, so I just, I just love that he was, uh, Brad Marchand was able to like stick up for his teammate. He was also just like, um, you know, taking it to the man, so to speak. Um, so I like that, that way uh, that he did that. Um, it was cool to do that. Um, we mentioned already the Bruins. It's, it's, it's yeah. odd because he's sticking up for the guy that he pokes fun of on Twitter the most. Oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, uh, we've we've mentioned that before, where Marshawn and Krug uh, have kind of uh, gone a back and forth. They just keep on making short jokes the entire time. But mm -hmm. um, 
So there's that. And also Pasternak got in, in on, on the mix at one point too, um, on yeah. Twitter. So that was um, that was interesting. Um, and then uh, yeah, the Bruins clinched a playoff spot officially. Uh, we mentioned that to start the show. Um, Sean Corrales out four weeks. Um, so like as I mentioned before, like it, it that will definitely hurt. He's he's especially shows up in the, during the playoffs, so that's gonna be the time when I'm we're gonna be like uh, we kind of need a Sean Corrales type. Uh, but um, but yeah, um, so that's gonna that's pretty bad there. Uh, and then lastly, I just wanted to mention that um, oh first. I guess I should mention that the Bruins play the Rangers tomorrow on Wednesday, um, and then they play the Panthers on Saturday, and then they play Detroit on Sunday. Um, I just hope they, they, that's all the makings of a trap game, all three of those games, but uh, we'll see. Um, and then, um, and then uh, lastly, I just wanted to briefly mention, I know it's a different sport entirely, but um, the Rob Gronkowski uh, retired on a Sunday. I, um, I'm a huge Patriots fan, as, as you probably have, would have guessed, uh, and I watched him play. It's, it's amazing that he, he's played, uh, he's in the league for nine years, um, and he was able to accomplish so much. Um, so, uh, but like, I, I can't blame him just based off of the injuries, uh, last year, but it, it's definitely a sad thing, uh, to see just from the city of Boston. Um, so I, uh, I respect him there. I wish I could retire at the age of 30, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually interesting because, uh, there's another popular athlete uh, that recently uh, retired from his profession oh, I, around the same age and that was conor mcgregor oh yeah i saw that yeah he like he like he just tweeted at like one one in the morning right <laughs> yeah he just tweeted like hey everyone just just some slight news i'm retiring from yeah. uh, the sport of mixed martial arts yeah. that he was just casually yeah. tweeted out but yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a long time coming for Gronk uh, yeah. in terms of retiring. Like, there was even rumors last offseason that he was going to retire. Uh, this season, he seemed to be like, uh, like he, he didn't have the same step, but I don't think we'll ever see someone quite like Gronk again. Um, he, yeah, you know, not, so. not someone with the same talent. Uh, or personality, even. Or, or personality. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, just eat. He's so talented, but he's such a frat boy, though. Yep. Like, the Super Bowl parties, like, the stuff that he does is absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. he's, he's, he's a freak of a nature athlete. Like, he's insanely talented. Yeah. yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad he was able uh, to walk out on his own instead of uh, being forced to walk out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, he's still – I mean, I, I think injuries really were a big factor as to why he's not yeah. playing. But 100%. I think, I think I was uh, I was hearing that he might be doing wrestling now, like that might be his next move, so which would be kind of interesting because that means like you're even more at an injury risk if you're wrestling. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely sad, but like there's just the fact that like 
it was almost impossible to tackle him and all like the defenders had to do was just like clip his uh his knees apart it's, so that's like they kind of had to injure him and that but like that just shows how dominant he was um, I wonder if he's going to have a future in football, like, outside of his playing days, if he would ever go back to football. But um, Yeah, I think there was, like, some... I feel like I could see it happening where, like, uh, let's say the Patriots are in desperate need of a tight end. Because I don't even know what the Patriots are going to do with a tight end now. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, if the Patriots, like... I, I have a feeling, like, let's say the middle of the season um the Patriots are you know are close to uh like they just need to fix their tight end issues that's the only thing they need Tom Brady calls up Gronk and he's just like hey um it would be kind of sweet if you could uh could be uh could uh unretire for a second I think I think Gronk would do it um, if if Tom Brady was like personally uh, put Gronk back on, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it all depends on the situation because like Marshawn Lynch retired uh, early in his career and then True. he came back to and now he's with the Raiders. So yes. The thing is, Marshawn Lynch hasn't really been as dominant, so I'm I'm kind of wondering if if Gronk wants to finish his career on top of the world, um, I don't think he's going to get that chance again. So. Maybe uh, if if he wants, maybe he'll go to the AF. I, I I don't think I I think he's retiring without any regrets. If if he wanted to really play with Tom Brady that badly, he would have stayed on for another year. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think his mind is made up. But I, I'm kind of wondering what the NHL equivalent of a someone like Rob Gronkowski would That's be. A good question. Just just like so super insanely talented, but also kind of a party guy. Like, I, I wonder... If, I think the close... Whether it be Patrick Kane, would it be Tyler Sagan, maybe? Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, those were the two that came to mind. Um, maybe Ovechkin, too, because we've seen... Uh, yeah, Ovechkin's the, the a good Stanley one, Stanley Cup parades, like, he, he would just get so drunk. He I was going to say, yeah. He's so happy. I was... I mean, maybe even, like, uh, Brad Marchand. Um, like he, like yeah, during the I 2011. Haven't, I haven't seen him party though. That's the. That's well, no, no, during the the 2011 uh, when they won the cup, he was like he had his shirt off, um, in all these Boston bars. Um, he was he was encouraging Sagan to party. Um, he kind of yeah. like he got he got Sagan to party uh, a lot yeah. more. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, Marshine's another one, but Ovechkin I think is probably the closest one. Now that I think about it, yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. Just, <laughs> I know we, we're talking about, it. we're not a football podcast here. Uh, we're at like two hours, ten minutes here, so uh, we should probably finish it up here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a pleasure watching Gronk play. Um, but I'm, I'm sad to see him go, but I fully understand why he's retiring right now. Um, yeah, so uh, Twitter... Uh, Lace Them Up, Lace Up Podcast, our Facebook is Lace Them Up, our, um, you're, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and or Spotify, which is probably how you're listening to us now. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 165 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>